turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Hopefully in the last several weeks, we've come to understand, we've come to see clearly that and were it not for the immeasurable riches of God's grace that we have so incredibly sung about this morning, we would still be lost in our sin and we would have no way of escape. The two words that we talked about last week, the most beautiful words in the Bible, I think, but God. So we've had this contrast of all of this evidence of who we are and what we are apart from Christ, but God Those two words are the difference between death and life, between despair and hope, and in reality and for eternity between heaven and hell. God has entered into our desperate situation and He just pours out His loving kindness on rebellious sinners like you and like me so that we might be demonstrations of His grace forever. Paul says He was shown grace so that He might be an example and you are the same way. We're going to look at three verses today. They're well known. You guys probably have maybe even two of them memorized, maybe all of them memorized. But they contain some of the most important, powerful, potent truths about God and salvation in all of Scripture. And so if, you, if you've got a copy of my notes, you'll, you'll notice the title is, is just a bunch of prepositional words in by, through, and for. I'm going to explain that in just a minute, but I want to read our text together and then ask God's blessing on this time. So Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer, open up your word to us today. Lord, you have to be the ones that opens the eyes of our heart in order for us to understand the revealed truth from your word. And so we pray that you would do that again for your people today, not so that we would boast, but Lord, so that you'd be glorified and that we'd walk in the good works you've prepared for us. In Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. So uh, I hate to have another grammar lesson today. Last week I asked you about uh, perfect, the perfect tense. Grammar was pretty much the only thing I was any good at in school, so uh, it sticks with me. Um, But another grammar lesson, these are prepositions. Who knows or can tell me what a preposition is? connects a noun or a pronoun to something else. It's, it's, it's kind of a descriptive word. It's a function word that typically combines a noun phrase to form a phrase which usually expresses a modification of that thing or a predication. So it's, it's an important word. I wouldn't say it's an unnecessary word. It oftentimes shows direction, location, time, or introduces a subject or an object. And it's usually followed by a noun or a phrase or a pronoun. We're going to circle back around to why prepositions are important in just a minute. But first, I want to ask this question. Who can tell me what happened in Christianity in the 16th century that was extremely important? Right, the Protestant Reformation. The most well-known event of that time was uh, October 31st, 1517. 
Martin Luther nails his 95 theses on the door to, to church in Wittenberg. But what prompted that? What spurred that on? Well, the reformers, people in that day who held tightly to the word of God, they saw the corruption of the Roman Catholic Church at the time and men like Martin Luther and John Calvin and many others spearheaded a movement that transformed Christianity and eventually led to the emergence of the Protestant denominations that exist even today. The men that we call reformers, like a couple that I just mentioned, they were guided by the conviction that the church of their day had drifted away from the original teachings of Scripture, especially in regard to what it was teaching about salvation and justification. And since Martin Luther published these things on Halloween, a day that we celebrate Halloween, it's an appropriate time of the year to talk about these things. Uh, the 200th anniversary was just a couple of years ago. I'm sorry, not 200, 400, 500, thank you. See, I told you, the only thing I was good at is grammar, not math. Not math. Thank you, John. This doctrine that we're talking about this morning, these things from Scripture that we're going to see, are not new fangled ideas. They're things that have been the bedrock of Christianity for a long, long time, for hundreds of years. The Reformation sought to reorient Christianity to the original message of Jesus. And, and there were five pillars that they stood on. And these were called the five solas. Okay, that's the Latin word, and there's some of these Latin words I'll do my best to pronounce. But they were these short phrases that summarized the Reformers' convictions about the essentials of Christianity and belief and they emphasized the distinctions between what the scriptures taught and what the Roman Catholic Church was, was doing. And there were five major things. They're in your notes, and you can see them on the screen here. Uh, we'll go through them quickly and then briefly explain some of those things. Sola Scriptura was scripture alone. The Bible alone is our highest authority. Sola Fide is faith alone. We are saved through faith alone in Christ. Sola gratia is grace alone. We're saved by the grace of God alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Jesus Christ alone is our Savior. He is our King. And sola de gloria is to the glory of God alone. We live for the glory of God alone. And of those five, four of them we have already seen in the first two chapters so far in Ephesians. Four of them. Three of them we see in the three verses that we're talking about today. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6, 12, and 14, Paul says that everything that we have is in Christ. And he lists these things. He talks about adoption. He talks about redemption. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about the seal of the Spirit for believers. All of salvation itself is in Christ. And what does he say that it's for? It's for the praise of His glory. He says that three different times. He uses that phrase, to the praise of His glory. It's all designed to magnify God's worth and to point to and emphasize His glory. And so that's why we say that we have been saved for the glory of God alone. Now we see today in our text, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, specifically 8 and 9, that we are saved in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. We're saved by Christ alone apart from any merit or any work from any other person. So when the reformers insisted on this pillar, that is what they were affirming. 
That is what they were saying. The Roman Catholic tradition had placed church leaders like priests and popes and cardinals in the role of intercessor between the people and God. And you could not approach the throne unless you went through one of those men. But the reformers emphasized that Jesus Christ alone was our intercessor between us and God. And he intercedes on our behalf. Hebrews 4.15 tells us this. And so he alone is the one who offers access to God, not another human spiritual leader. So that's why they say that we are saved by Jesus Christ alone. We sing that song, In Christ Alone. That's where that comes from. Paul reminds us then of what we've already seen, what he's gone through great lengths to teach, that salvation comes from God and it's not happening by anything that we do. Ephesians 1, we saw that God alone is the one who has chosen, who has predestined, who has adopted, and who has blessed every single person that believes. He says in this text, by grace you have been saved. Salvation is God's work, not because of what we have done. And so we say that we are saved by grace alone. The Roman Catholic Church at the time also emphasized the use of indulgences. That may be a word that you're used to hearing in that. Uh, That just meant donating money. You could light candles. You could pay for things. Oftentimes, and this is what it turned out into being, that you would end up paying for your status before God. You paid enough money, and the priest would absolve you from your sin. Good works, like buying indulgences in that way, or even the work of baptism itself, became seen as requirements to obtain and then keep salvation. But the Reformers believed that salvation is a free gift to everyone who accepts it by faith. John 3.16 teaches us those things. So then if it is by faith, then it cannot be based on your good deeds, on any human effort. And so they say that we are saved by faith alone. So those are the things that we've seen in the book of Ephesians so far. And I just want to point this out. I just wanted to quickly go through all of that, review the Protestant Reformation stuff, because I want us to see just how much weight these three verses have. These verses are hugely important to our understanding of what biblical salvation really is. The sola that we didn't get a chance to talk about is sola scriptura. It emphasizes that the Bible alone is our authority. So by saying scripture alone, the reformers were rejecting both the divine authority of the Roman Catholic Pope and confidence in the church tradition that was being elevated in the time. They said, no, only the Bible is inspired by God and God breathed. And so anything taught by the Pope or in church tradition that contradicted the Bible was supposed to be rejected because God's word and God's word alone is to be our highest and final authority, not what the priest says. So what does all of that have to do with 2019, with you guys, with me here today? Well, first off, let me just say that the reformers, these guys that we look up to, they were, they were men with feet of clay. And while what they stood for and suffered persecution for is vastly important, they still made mistakes. You can read the lives of the reformers and you can see areas where they blew it and they didn't have everything just right. They're infallible. It's right to remember and thank God for their determination, but we shouldn't elevate them higher than we should. 
Secondly, I would say that while we might not be fighting against entrenched institutions in our time like they were back then, we're still fighting against the same false teachings. We're still fighting against the same beliefs that led people astray way back then. And I say that, I say that we fight against those things because I recognize that the battle oftentimes for those things rages inside of us. We're tempted to believe that it's not by grace alone and through faith alone. That battle still rages. Our flesh is constantly trying to get us to revert back to this performance-based relationship with God where we think that we can just buy His favor with good deeds, with Christian piety, with giving. The pride that hardened the hearts of so many people back in the days of the Reformation still lurks within our hearts today. Even well-meaning and outwardly godly people. Because the overwhelming notion, and I think most would agree with this, is that God accepts or rejects people based on what they do. The whole book of Ephesians rejects that premise, though. Specifically what we're talking about today. And so we can't agree with what a lot of people say there. It is not based on your performance. Look at verse 7 of Ephesians 2. God has given incredible blessings to those who are in Christ. Why? In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In other words, God has chosen to save sinners not based on their goodness, but on His kindness. Glory be to God. This is a definition of grace that I think is good. So this is on your notes. I want you to get this. Grace is a blessing that is undeserved and unwarranted. It's a blessing that is undeserved and unwarranted. Grace is a gift freely given based on the kindness of the giver to a recipient who has no claim on it. What God has done for believers in Christ is going to bring him glory. And so verses 8 through 9 explain further how he's going to get all the glory. So look at those verses with me. By grace you have been saved. Being saved by grace doesn't mean that we receive it because we're good or deserving, but because God is good and he's gracious to give it to us, to all those who believe. Then he says, through faith. You, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is the human responsibility aspect of all of this, if you want to put it that way. In order to be saved, there is a necessary human response to God's grace. But the response is not trying to be good enough to earn it or keep it. That's not the response. Make sure you hear that and understand that today. The response is simply trusting, having faith in God to save on the basis of Christ's goodness. That's the response. It's believing God for what he says is true. It's not trying hard. We have to understand that faith is not good work in itself that God rewards. That's not why he gives salvation, justification. It's not because of your faith. Faith is simply casting our unworthy selves on the mercy and kindness and forgiveness of a gracious God. The next clause, I think, helps explain this, but it's a little more difficult to understand in here. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. So what is not your own doing? What is the this that's there? Is it the faith that he's talking about? Is faith the gift of God? Is it the grace that is the gift of God in here? Yeah. 
It is. It's both of those things. In, and here's why I think that. In the Greek, the word for this uh, has a gender that doesn't match the words faith or the, or the word grace. It's not specifying one of those or the other. The, the same of, can be true if you look back at the phrase, have been saved. So I think the best explanation of this, the best way for us to understand this, is that the word this here refers not just to, to faith or not just to grace, but refers to the whole plan and process of salvation, not just one specific element of it. Salvation by grace through faith is not from ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Here again, the nature of grace is repeated. The whole plan and process of salvation comes from God as a gift, brothers and sisters. The whole lot of it, not from ourselves, not from the result of good works or good things that we have done. Why would God say you can't do anything to earn this? Here's why so that no one can boast. So that you can't boast about what God has given you. When you get a gift, did you do anything to earn that gift? Specifically thinking about a birthday gift, did you have anything to do with being born? Your mom had a lot to do with it, but not so much you. And yet you get gifts on that day. Did you do anything? Not really. You just receive them. You just receive the gift. So God does this in this way. Salvation, justification is a gift of God so that no one can boast. If the plan and process of salvation were based on our own effort, on human works, you know what would happen. I know what would happen. We would tend to elevate ourselves over other people that don't have it as right as we do and look down on them in pride. And in some sense, we would do the same thing with God himself. Because our salvation would be our doing, not his. And so God says, no, no, that's not how it goes. That's not how you receive this. The plan and process of salvation is a gift of God by his grace. And it's accessed through faith in God's promises in Christ. That's how we receive and enjoy this blessing of God. This is why my sermon title is just a bunch of prepositions. It's for this reason. In, by, through, and for. In Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for God's glory alone. That's why those prepositions are important this morning. But there's something else, I think, that gets overlooked here in our passage today that I want to make sure we see and understand. Verses 8 and 9 is great here. They are the bedrock of what we believe in a lot of ways. And many of us might even have those memorized. And that would be a good thing, but we tend to miss the 10th verse here. We know it's all for the glory of God. Paul has made that clear in Ephesians so far. But there's another purpose for salvation listed here. Paul explains why we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Why? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You have been saved. You have been justified in order to walk in good works. What what does that mean? Well, here's where some of the confusion lies. Paul has made it clear that salvation is from God, not of us, but 
but we're the ones who do the works that he's laid out for us to do. And so there's confu- some confusion on, well, what does it mean? Are we justified by, our, by grace or are we justified by our works? And we're not going to take any time to look at it, but I just invite you to turn your notes to the last page. It's in Appendix A. And it talks about how, how we reconcile the teachings of Paul and James on the topic of justification by faith. Because when you read some of these texts, and they're listed there, it seems like James is saying, by your works you're justified, whereas Paul in Romans is saying, by faith alone you're justified. This is based off of a talk by R.C. Sproul. Take some time, maybe this afternoon, and look through that. But that's where some of the confusion lies. So is it works or is it faith? There is a way to understand this that I want us to see today. What place do good works have in the life of a Christian? I'll put it as plainly as I can. I tried to, to boil this down to make it as simple as possible this morning. What do good works, what place do they have in the life of a Christian? It's this, that we're not saved by good works, we're saved for good works. Do you hear that? I'm going to say that same thing a few different ways in just the next few minutes. But I want us to notice the importance of the sequence here. What comes first? Good works are not the cause of salvation, they're the result of it. God saves us so that we would go into the world and do good works in his name, thus bringing him glory. We see this happen in Matthew chapter 5. It says that they may see your good works and glorify the Father. God's purpose in saving us was not only to rescue us from hell, but that we also would go and reflect his character in the world now. We've been saved for that reason. We are demonstrations of his grace. Paul talks to Timothy and he talks to Titus about the importance of what our actions mean. A couple of instances, I think they're in your notes there. Titus 2.7, he's encouraging me, he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Might be a surprising thing for him to put there in that blank. To be a model of good works. Then he says in 2.14, talking of Jesus, he said he gave him up, himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealous for good works. You guys know what zealous means, right? Excited, passionate. Zealous for good works. What better work is there, I would ask, than bringing God glory? The God of our salvation, the God who has saved us by no work of our own than bringing him glory. Isn't that the greatest work of all? I think back to Isaiah chapter 43, and he says, these are my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. That's why he is called sinners to be saints, so that we might declare his praise. I like the word that Paul uses here in verse 10. He says that we are his workmanship. It's an interesting word. It, it has the idea, the meaning of, of sewing a garment, fashioning a garment, or, or even writing a poem. I think to Revelation 21, it says that in, in Christ, God is making all things new. He's writing something new. He's creating something new out of his people. He's transforming sinners into saints, and he's transforming enemies into friends. This is what God is doing in Christ. Now, don't forget, who is Paul talking to here? Just glance back to to verse 1. 
Paul is talking to people who are dead in their trespasses and sin. Paul is talking to people who are children of wrath. Just pause for a second and consider the beautiful truth that we just unearthed here. Think about this. The very people who were naturally under God's wrath have now been transformed into God's own workmanship because of Christ. The painting that our lives are apart from Christ is dark and hopeless. We talked about that a few few weeks ago. But because of Christ, God is coming in and repainting that picture into something beautiful and full of life. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, you are his workmanship. Do we think that God creates bad pictures or beautiful ones or perfect ones? We have to stop believing that we aren't who God is creating us to be. Paul was convinced of that. God started the work. He's going to finish the work. I'm going to put aside. I'm going to leave behind the things that used to be. I'm going to press forward for what God has for me. We were created in God's image, but sin marred that image. We see that almost right away in the creation story. When God bought us back for himself, it was to restore that image and to free us to become everything that we were created to be in Christ. So when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, he now prompts us to do the things in this life that will glorify God. The Spirit gives us that prompting. We see that in John 14. Our desire to please God then grows as our understanding of God grows. Isn't that true? The more that we know God for who He is, the more in awe we stand of Him. I think it should be that way. So our desire to please God grows out of our understanding of who He is. And that desire to please God grows and results in good works. Brothers and sisters, it's biblically inconsistent to say that someone has been saved when they have not changed. According to Scripture, every person who is saved looks different. You've been given a new heart. You've been given new priorities. Now, we don't always function in those, but there will be a change. Many people go through the motions, though. There are people in churches that go through the motions. And they say they give their lives to Christ. They even go under the water in baptism, but no change follows. I think if we were to look at what James says in chapter 2, verse 26, James would say, it's not a real faith. That is not a faith that is alive. That is a dead faith. It's not real salvation. John 12 tells us that when a dark heart receives the light of salvation, it is then illuminated and it is changed. Our priorities change. Our desires change. Our outlook changes. Life is seen in a different way, maybe for the first time. There's change. If the darkness of sin continues without care, then I think we can rightly assume that no light ever came on to begin with. To use a different biblical analogy, and there are several that we could pick from, but salvation produces fruit in our lives. Jesus said in John 15, he said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will do what? Bear much fruit. Those in Christ will bear much fruit. 
That's the purpose of the vineyard, to bear much fruit. And so good works naturally follow salvation. Guys, church specifically, we have to stop being okay with no spiritual growth in our lives. We have to stop being okay with no spiritual growth in the lives of our children who claim Christ. We have to stop being okay with no spiritual growth in the lives of our brothers and sisters who claim Christ. Because they're not consistent with one another. One of the greatest joys, I think, of being a parent is watching your kids to grow up to look kind of like you. And I think that's a joy as a parent. We see them begin to look like us, to take on our traits in the same way after salvation. Who do we begin to look more and more like? Our Heavenly Father. And so just in the way that a a physical baby begins to grow and look more like their mom or dad, so a, a, a spiritual baby will grow to look more like their father. And we see what he looks like in the person of Christ. We will only look and act more like our Heavenly Father as we follow him and allow him to produce his character in us. Although we cannot be saved by our good works, when we are saved, we will produce good works. We have to get the order right here. I'll say it again, but in a different way. Good works do not produce salvation. Good works are the result of salvation. They're the product of it. And these good works, this growing into the image of our Father, is something that Paul says here at the end of verse 10, is that God prepared beforehand. This was in God's mind before you were ever a thought in your parents' minds. Before the world was ever established, God had these things for us to do. And only the things done, we talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning, only the things done for Him will last for eternity. Finally, Paul says, this is a phrase I don't want us to miss either. Paul says, he was prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should walk in these good works. There's lots of stuff for us to do, good works to do. There's a lifetime So we have to continue walking in them. That's what walk implies, right? A step is one thing. You take a step of faith. It might seem like it's just, you know, one time and that's all you got to do. It's not what Paul means here. It's not what it's saying here. We're told to walk in these things. This phrase, if you just want to peek ahead to chapter 4, verse verse 1 through 3, Paul uses the same phrasing and he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. This is not a, I made a decision for Christ, I'm good, now I can go live how I want. This is a continued walk, longing, pursuing Christ, walking in holiness. Guys, walking in good works and obedience is a result and a proof of our salvation. R.C. Sproul said it this way, he said, justification in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, will always lead to good works. You cannot have those other things if they do not equal good works. So given the truths that we've talked about here in verses 8 through 10, I think there's some questions that we need to evaluate, that we need to ask ourselves critically. First one is this. Am I relying on good things I've done to earn God's favor? Not one of us is good, so we must put all of our trust all of our belief, all of our hope on the goodness of Christ. Question number two, am I relying on my spiritual performance to be right with God? This this may be you as a believer. 
You may believe that you've been saved of nothing of your own, but now, all of a sudden, now you have to do stuff to make God happy with you. Am I relying on my spiritual performance to be right with God? We have to remember, and this is why I've spent so much time on these first few, you know, 10 verses in Ephesians 2. We have to remember that salvation is a gift. You did not earn it. Nothing that you did warranted it. And if God has saved you, you have not saved yourself. The seal of His Spirit, the power of the risen Savior, if you've been saved, that's enough to keep you. Not your good works. Stop trying to work for your salvation. Rest in Christ instead. Question number three. Am I displaying the fruit of someone who has truly been saved? That may be the most potent question for us today. Am I displaying the fruit of someone who has truly been saved? Doing good is one of the reasons that God has saved you, brothers and sisters. So good works are a vital part of the Christian life. They will flow out of a Christian. He has stuff for us to do. He has works for us to do. But not only are we justified by grace through faith for the glory of God, we have been justified for good works. If this is confusing or concerning to you, I'd encourage you to reach out because we want every person in this church, whether you're visiting or a part of the body, we want every one of you to have a thriving relationship with God who understands this is by grace and not by your works. And we would love to assist you in that journey. So if this is concerning or you have questions, please contact me. I want to close us today with a, a quote by Martin Luther. Justification is by faith alone, but it is not by faith that is alone. Let me say that again. Justification is by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. Does your salvation depend on your good works? No. Does your salvation lead to good works? Every time. Every believer. Let's commit today and this week to walk in the good works that God has created us for and that God is leading us to do because brothers and sisters, we're guaranteed right here, verse 10. If you've been saved by grace through faith, you have stuff to do. So let's go do it. Let's pray. God, may, may this be the thrust of our motivation going out of here. Lord, to look on all of these wonderful truths. God, you have saved us for your own glory. You have called us out of darkness into light, out of death and into life. But it's not just to sit and get comfortable in that. Lord, you have called us as changed people to now go for good works. Jesus said, go and make disciples and teach them and baptize them. Go and preach the good news to those who are near and those who are far off. We're called to love our brothers and sisters. We're called to hold them to repentance. We're called to repent ourselves, Lord. You have created things for your people to do, Lord, and I pray that we would be a group that is not content to sit in church on Sundays and that be all of Christ that we see and hear and think on, but that we would be motivated and excited and zealous to go out and to serve and to love and to preach the good news. But Lord, only 
a work of the Spirit can do that in us. And so we pray, we long, we plead with you this morning. God, I I ask you in my heart to make me more and more excited for obedience and more and more zealous for good works. Thank you that we can look at the fruit and know that we have been saved and that we have assurance because of that. But even in the times when our heart fails us, and we think wrong things about us, Lord, our brothers and sisters in the body, your spirit within us as a true Christian will remind us of your never-ending mercies. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen.